Hello, everybody. Just a quick disclaimer before this week's episode. As you know, we've been recording our episodes remotely lately due to the COVID-19 pandemic, so please excuse the slight dip in audio quality. I also wanted to give a shout out to all the nurses, doctors, and medical professionals working every day to save lives. Y'all are the real heroes, and we love you. And now, here's the show. From the beautiful city of West Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. And over the month of November, we are dedicating our episodes to the stacked New Orleans Film Festival. And we're kicking it off by talking to the festival's programming manager and arts development coordinator. She's also a brilliant writer, director in her own right, Miss Zandashay Brown. Zandashay, thank you so much for joining us on Film Forward. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I am very excited. It has been a while since we've been doing this podcast. And as the programmer of LADFF, I've always wanted to bring on other programmers so we can kind of compare notes, but we are very blessed and honored that you are our first, our first one. So it's going to be exciting. (laughs) Before we kind of get into the New Orleans Film Festival specifically, I want to talk a little bit about you and your work. I was able to check out one of your shorts before we recorded today, and I was really, really blown away. Your film, Blood Runs Down, was just, it was awesome. You You did a really beautiful job of like creating this just uncomfortable, eerie tension, you know, that in the frame of the horror film fits and is very perfect and well executed. But the tension is also truthful to the experience of your characters. And it kind of reminded me of Eve's Bayou, you know, like this just like Southern, you know, unease tension, like feeling the heat. (laughs) But anyways, I just want to talk about using genre and horror specifically as a storytelling medium for social awareness, which I think your film does quite brilliantly. Thank you. Yeah. Blood Runs Down was my first short film that I wouldn't have been able to make without the support of the New Orleans Film Society. Actually, I'd gone through the Emerging Voices program a few years before and had attended the festival each year in some capacity, whether that's as a filmmaker or someone in one of our filmmaker programs. So I'd always just kind of utilize that community there. And yeah, they helped me get this film made. (laughs) And it feels like, I don't know, it it feels very full circle to, to now be in the position to help other people do that, but to also, you know, affect what our programming looks like and One thing that we did this year that I'm really proud of was actually host a reunion for the Eves Bayou crew. Oh, (laughs) wow. Yeah, yeah. So we we got to, um, I got to speak to Casey Lemons and Mm -hmm. Glenn Winfield, Journey Smollett, Terrence Blanchard, Megan Good. And yeah, this is totally a film that has inspired me for Blood Runs Down, but also continued work because just this, this genre of Southern Gothic horror Mm -hmm. and particularly black Southern Gothic horror, there's not a lot of material to reference there. You know, you have Eve's Bayou, you have Daughters of the Dust, Mm -hmm. and then you have some shorts and, and lesser known films that try to approach the aesthetic that those works have created. But I, I really am interested in addressing 
tone and memory and the types of people that I grew up with. You know, that's that's what I like to showcase in my work across the board. Well, yeah, I think you I think you pull it off quite masterfully. It's very impressive to hear that that was your first short because, you know, what they say, you got it. I'll just say that. (laughs) That's very exciting. You guys got to host a reunion for Eve's Bayou, though. That's that's uh, one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We did a a full gimme three retrospective earlier this year of like just female directors. And that was one of the films that we talked about in depth. So how did you, you mentioned, you know, the New Orleans Film Society helped you make this film. How did, after you made this film, did you get more involved with them and start diving into being one of their programmers? Oh, yeah. I mean, the the, the film community here, uh, that's really a key word. It's such a community. And so even before I officially joined the team, Coming to this festival every year, and I've heard other people describe it as this as well, it's like coming home. It's seeing all the Mm -hmm. people that you work with in one space and partying with them and having conversations about films with them and seeing the work that they've created since uh, last year. So staff had always done such a good job of extending themselves to filmmakers you know, the, this was my first experience of, of what a film festival is like and what film festival programmers are like and what it means to actually care about filmmakers. Uh, mm-hmm. Because without filmmakers, there would be no festival. So Clint had always done, our artistic director, Clint Bowie, now my colleague, had always done such an incredible job of just memorizing or remembering, you know, filmmakers and their work and reaching out to them at the festival to have conversations. And I think this team has always just been really supportive and and really excited about the people that they're supporting and the films that they're choosing. And so that relationship was already there. But yeah, I don't recall. I mean, last year was the first year that I came on board as a programmer and I think I was just looking for more ways to get involved with the festival. Right. And I attended it for what, maybe four or five years prior to that. And so programming for the narrative selections was one of those ways. And at first it started off as volunteer programming. And then I just stepped into a you know full programmer position and then later the full-time job as artist development manager and programming manager. And so last year when I came on for the first time as a programmer and got to take a look at the work that was actually being submitted to the festival, it was a really interesting experience as a filmmaker because you know you sort of place yourself within mm-hmm. the work that you're seeing and, right. and you say, where do I fit into it? And, and it really informs the way you make films too and the way that you consider other people's time and you just know that you're always guiding a person's eye and a person's mind with, with each second. You, you need to be doing something with what's on the screen. So, yeah, I, I got a lot out of it. It's, it's hard work, mm-hmm. I, which I'm sure you know. I mean, <laughs> it seems really appealing, and it is really appealing to uh, be able to watch a, a bunch of movies all day, but it is a bunch of movies that you are watching yeah. all day. And it, takes, <laughs> it takes time and you want to show up to the work in a way that's intentional and alert. And it, it's just, it takes a very specific person to be able to do that. So yeah, I don't know. I think uh, these past two years, it's been a learning experience for me, but I'm also 
you know, bringing my own interpretation of the creative process into the process of selecting works and maybe seeing some things that these directors and writers really wanted to push forward. Because I'm thinking, you know, from the perspective of someone who is trying to get eyes on their their own work as well. I hope Mm -hmm. that I hope that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, it's the same thing with me. You know, I'm a filmmaker myself. You're a Mm -hmm. filmmaker. So we're, you know, we understand what it's like to be on the other side, you know, of Mm -hmm. of the wall. We've submitted to film festivals. We screened at film festivals. So it's vulnerable, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, You're putting yourself in a vulnerable position. You know, these people have paid money to submit. In most cases, they've paid money to submit to the film festival. So yeah, you want to be true to them. But, you know, you also want to be true to the festival and make sure that you're you know, saying what you guys want to say. I'll also say that, you know, as a filmmaker with New Orleans Film Festival, everyone was so kind and it really gave me a lot of hope to come behind the scenes and see how genuine that is. And I'm, I'm really honored to work with a team who's really passionate about the work. I mean, we, we get into (laughs) so many arguments towards the end because we're impassioned about the work that we want to show. And when, when a programmer believes in something or someone like they really believe in that person. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's so great to hear. Talk to us a little bit about the festival as a whole, how your team, I'm sure you want to pick a lot of stuff that's, you know, new Orleans specific and speaks to that experience and to the Southern experience. But, you know, seeing your program, you also are, you know, you're international and you want to open people's minds to the worldly experience, which is something we try and do as well. You know, we were very specific to LA, but we have films from 20 countries last year. Where do you guys kind of find that balance of making sure that you stay true to the New Orleans community and the New Orleans film community, but also keep it broad and international and and open up the minds of other filmmakers? Well, you know, we've had a lot of conversations this year about what our programming values are, and we're sort of solidifying those things so that we can just be transparent about them. And so at some point, you know, they will be made available to the public because as much as filmmakers submit films to festivals with the hope that their film is the right fit, it's it's fair uh, for them to be able to ask, is this festival the right fit for the work that I'm looking for? You know, mm-hmm. do, do my values as a creator align with what you're trying to showcase? And so we've been having a lot of conversations about, you know, what we look for in a film because everyone's taste is so different. And I think really what it comes down to is, is that and I hope this isn't you know, misunderstood, but that there's a sense of urgency. There's something really important that this person is trying to say. And there, there are so many ways for them to say, it. you know, whether it's a personal story or something that is uh, more global or like political, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a drama even necessarily. It could be through comedy or any other format, but some sense that, you know, this is something that needs to be said by this person and, and, and right now. And any filmmaker who has filled out an application for a grant or something like that will come across that question. Why are you the person to tell the story and why now? But I think festivals look for that as well uh, mm-hmm. because you, you want to find work that, that resonates with people. And I'll say, you know, for me personally, I can see in a film when someone is making something that is responsive or reactionary, but not sincere to what they're trying to say. Totally. Um, and so we look for that wherever we can find it, you know, where 
very much committed to Louisiana filmmakers and Southern filmmakers because we're an underrepresented region. Mm-hmm. But we love to bring people from all over the world into New Orleans with that common theme of, you know, you, you have something to say within your work or you have a story to tell, especially stories that, you know, need more visibility. And, and, and there's a lot of opportunity for us to have crossover conversations with issues that are happening abroad or also in New Orleans or with communities that exist in other places that are similar to ours in different ways. So yeah, it's, it's really about bringing people together and <laughs> which we can't do, of course, this year. Uh, but it's, you know, finding ways to bring people together in some way in this Southern region, uh, yeah. whether that's physically or just in, in thought and thematically and to have those conversations with the South in mind because, you know, the, the coastal cities, East Coast, West Coast, so those are sort of hubs for things like this, but our region has a lot to offer. So yeah, we put a lot of we put a lot of focus into that. That's beautiful. I'm so excited to check out what you guys got this year. You kind of touched on it a little bit. So now kind of transitioning into what it was like for your team transitioning into the online platform, which so many festivals have been, you know, forced yeah. to do this year. Uh, how has that transition been for you guys? And so far, you know, what have been kind of the pros and cons that you see? Oh man. <laughs> It was tough, but uh, we were fortunate enough to have some time. Mm-hmm. You know, I started working full time with the New Orleans Film Society in March. And so I was in my office for about two weeks before we all went home. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't been back since. Right. So, uh, you know, there's that sort of adjustment and just trying to figure out how we're going to set up a work life from home and stay in constant communication with one another. But I I really do sympathize with festivals who were, you know, ready to go right then and there and and had to think quickly. And then most of them, you know, just couldn't have a festival. There's (laughs) nothing you can do in such a tight turnaround. But we're a small team. We're ambitious, (laughs) I would say. And we really care about the quality of the work that we're putting out and the quality of the festival overall. So I think it's, it's been a lot of learning as you go, you know, and even now we're trying to plan ahead for a scenario in which we, we do need to continue implementing a virtual festival of some sort right? or virtual events at, mm-hmm. at all, you know, because there was a point in time in which we were like, October is really far away. <laughs> who, knows, who knows what could happen by then? And yeah, I don't know. We just, we really can't see the end of this thing just yet. But we've been learning as we go. And so even leading up to the festival, some of the panels and conversations that we've had, like Eve's Bayou, that reunion was our first shot at you know, live streaming a conversation, which is something that we're about to do a good bit of. Yeah. Uh, during the week of our conference. And so, yeah, there's a lot of that. There are a lot of meetings happening right now. Film festivals are <laughs> meeting with one another, answering lots of questions for one another, giving suggestions. We do lots of follow-up calls around our filmmaker programs, our online events. Right now, you know, a lot of people are having questions about drive-ins and outdoor screenings. So there's there's lots of sharing of knowledge happening 
because people understand that, you know, we're kind of all learning at the same time. This is new to everyone. Yeah. And, and we're, you know, like this is kind of, we're all in it together at this point. Like this, yeah. that's what this uh, year kind of showed us, wasn't it? Was it? Wow. Yeah. Uh, we we kind of got to work together as film festivals. Not that we weren't working together before, but it, this yeah. was really kind of like, well, okay, we all need to make sure that we are successful together because if we're not all successful, it could be One bad. Well. Yeah. <laughs> But thankfully, Absolutely. it seems like there has been some festivals that have really thrived. And it seems like you guys have been able to make the transition quite seamlessly. You guys have a great program that's slated. Like you said, you've got a whole bunch of panels and stuff that are on the dock. So I applaud your team. Having gone through it, I know I know the difficulties <laughs> that it entails. So I'm really excited for you guys. Thank you. If you can, give us one or two films that you would I know that's kind of like mm -hmm. a terrible scary <laughs> question <laughs> give us one or two <laughs> films from the program this year that you would recommend to our audience mm, okay okay I know it's tough <laughs> shorts or features or does it matter doesn't matter so there is a feature called the outside story that I just found so cozy. Mm. It stars Brian Tyree Henry as the lead. And he gets locked out of his apartment after a breakup that takes place in New York. And so, you know, the plot is very straightforward. He ends up sort of forming community with his neighbors who he's never spoken to. And I think it resonated with me in particular so strongly. One, because I just, I love any opportunity that I can, uh, that I have to watch Brian Tyree Henry's performance. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, we've been trapped inside of our houses. And I don't want to say trapped. We're very fortunate. Anyone who has shelter is very fortunate. But we've been, we've been stuck inside of our homes for months, right. for months now. And it's dangerous to be anywhere else, but especially around other people. And so this movie, which I'm sure they weren't planning for a pandemic, but it does the opposite, you know, and in, in, in that the house is the one place that you don't have access to is the home. And, and so you're forced to be in community with other people. And that's something that I really miss right now. So it was great to kind of get that feeling through this film. I mean, that's, you know, one of the reasons that we watch films. Yeah. <laughs> Another is, I'll, this one's a short film by Taylor Montague called In Sudden Darkness. And it was sort of making the rounds. I know that it um, got some, it got a pretty big response at Black Star. So I'm really excited to show it to our audiences here. But it's about a black family that is navigating a New York blackout. This is another New York film. So it's <laughs> weird that I just happened to choose two of those, <laughs> but it's just, it's filled with so many moments of tenderness and especially I think for stories like this, where you're waiting for some amount of trauma to unfold or some tragic thing to happen. It doesn't really, it, 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 you just get to sit with the love that this family has for one another. And so uh, and that's kind of a hard thing to, to sell in my description of it, but to, to watch the film is really such an experience and it utilizes a different type of cinematic language. You know, it, it doesn't yeah. rely on plot in a certain way. It, it really engages with tone and emotion in a way that's so rewarding. That sounds great. I think tenderness and love is something uh, everybody could use a little of right now. So oh, yeah. uh, I will definitely be checking those out. Before we take our break, where can the audience find you and follow you for you and your work? 
stay updated with everything. Well, no one has my name, uh, to my knowledge. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Zandashe, just first name. And then my website is also just my first name, (laughs) Zandashe.com. That must be so awesome to just be like (laughs) the one and only. That's amazing. Well, you are the one and only. You guys, everybody can subscribe to Film Forward as well. All month long, we'll be giving you episodes highlighting just a few of the incredible films that are at the New Orleans Film Festival this year. The festival runs November 6th through the 22nd. You are not going to want to miss it. We're going to take a quick break, everybody. When we come back, Zandashe is going to help us out with our favorite segment, Give me three. We'd like to take a minute and give a very special thanks to our new sponsor, E-Minutes. E-Minutes is a company of entertainment lawyers who are dedicated to giving a platform to underrepresented voices by helping filmmakers form companies and other necessary legal entities. They're sponsoring a new award with LADFF called the Emerging Filmmaker Award and giving their services for free to the lucky winners. You can find out more about them by going to LADFF.com and clicking on the E-Minutes link. All right, we are back. It's Film Forward. I'm Nicholas Ibarra. I'm joined with Sandashay Brown. We're talking New Orleans Film Festival. We're talking horror movies. We're talking programming. And we're talking all kinds of fun stuff. But right now we're about to talk about Gimme Three. Sandashe is going to give us three recommendations. We're doing Gimme Three a little bit differently today. Normally we do three film recommendations. Today, Sandashe is going to give us two recs. But since Sonia Maru, our brave leader, festival director of LADFF, she is a huge fan of the city of New Orleans. She wanted to have Sandashe give us one of her give me three to be one thing that she loves about living in the city of New Orleans. So that is going to be our third. Mixing it up a little bit. But for now, Zandashay, let's get your first recommendation. Okay, great. So my first is a film that I've revisited two or three times since we've been under quarantine or since the pandemic has happened. It's Climax by Gaspar Noe. And it's I am such a big fan of dance horror. <laughs> You're sick. This uh, movie is sick. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love, I love it. it. I, love I love everything it, yeah. about it. It utilizes like such great dancers. And I, I don't have super extensive knowledge on dance, but from my understanding, those are pretty big names. And they're all such different styles, but it's mm-hmm. also just given like tone and energy, you know, really, really heavy. And there are so few films that fall within the dance horror subgenre, I guess. Right. So I cling to those whenever I find them. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, no way. He's just a master of... I'm just going to say it, mind fucking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, like, I saw this movie in the theater Ooh. and I, I had imbibed like a little too much marijuana. Oh, um, I, I did not. I did not need to because this movie it doesn't you. feel like you're on a bad drug trip already. <laughs> but um, it is an experience like all of No Way's films. It is an experience that you will never forget. The camera work in it is just so, so incredible. Yeah, the camera is choreographed as yeah, well as yeah. the dancers. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, it is it is an impressive, impressive movie. If you guys haven't seen it, check it out. I think it's on Amazon Prime right now. Mm-hmm. And it's also 
for my money, one of the best trailers that's come out in the last 10 years. If you haven't seen it, check out the trailer and that'll that'll give you a good sense of what you're in for and it should hook you. Yeah, I walked into this one blindly, just clicked it one day and... (laughs) You were in for the ride of your life. (laughs) That's it. That's the story. Awesome. Excellent first choice. Climax. Check it out. It's on Amazon Prime. Your second one, Zandashay. Okay, my second one is another one that I have revisited at least twice since <laughs> March. It's the show Sharp Objects by creator Marty Noxon, who I actually had the privilege of speaking with last week, I believe. Nice. Because she's a mentor for the, or she was a masterclass advisor for the Tribeca Through Her Lens program, which my short in production right now was selected for. Amazing. So I got to geek out about this show. It's so layered and it's it's got a, you know, that sort of like Southern Gothic tone to it, but embraces generational mother-daughter dynamics in a really interesting way. And there's so many more things that I want to say about it, but I can't uh, <laughs> because I'd be spoiling it. How I do lure people in to watch this show is one, you know, I tell them how layered and incredible it is, but I say you are not going to know the full story of the show until the very last shot. Uh, okay. <laughs> and even, and even beyond that last shot, you get a little bit after the credits. It's just, it's just, I love the way that information is dispersed and it's always exciting to go back and watch it. Okay. That hooked me. Uh-huh. You got me. I've heard good <laughs> things about it. I haven't seen it yet. I have heard a lot of really positive reviews. So yeah. nobody said that, that got me right there. That I like. <laughs> it's a ride. It is a ride. And whatever you think you know, you just, you got to keep thinking. <laughs> Great. Amazing. Okay. Now your third and final recommendation, which is not a film, not a TV show. It yeah. is God's film. What do you love about living in this? Just one of the things. Obviously, there's a million things to love. Mm, so many things to love. I've always been a huge fan of New Orleans and I've always loved living in Louisiana, but I, I've always especially wanted to live in the city. And so when I was thinking about this question, just the day before I was floating down the bayou with a friend on a little boat and these men passed by on horses with Zydeco music playing from speakers. They all had what I would assume as daiquiris in their hand. <laughs> and it just took me back to my hometown, Rosedale, you know, where we people do trail rides in the western parts of Louisiana all the time. But it's always, it tickles me to see it in New Orleans because it's just a group of men and women on horses like <laughs> under the interstate, you know, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's that blend of like country and city. And it, it's all the nuance of Louisiana and what it is to live here is just, you're constantly grappling with those different identities and, you know, different landscapes and things like that. But yeah, trail rides are just pure joy. I mean, I can't <laughs> think of anything happier. <laughs> Yeah, that's one thing, you know, most people, when they visit New Orleans, they wouldn't think about that. You know, they think about the party, they think about, you know, the Garden District or, you know, going on the bayou, like you said, but trail rides wouldn't be one thing that comes to mind off the top. Yeah, the city tells you what to do some days. Mm -hmm. When I lived in the Bywater, I always had my windows open at a certain time or my uh, shutters open at a certain time of day. And I saw one day uh, just a group of people take off on horses right outside of my house. And so 
you know, that's New Orleans telling me, all right, go outside, see what's going on. <laughs> and as soon as I did, I, I realized that they were all going towards a second line. And so just like that, you know, you go from relaxing, watch your TV show, whatever you're doing, maybe working, you put that down and now you're in a parade. Like that's, that's, really <laughs> <of the> city. <laughs> right. that's something that can only happen in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Amazing. Zandisha, it was so great talking to you. We thank you so much for joining us and we're so excited for the New Orleans Film Festival and we can't wait to see what you have next, your next directorial piece, because we are very excited about that as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Awesome. Everybody, thank you all for listening to Film Forward. Follow us on Instagram at LA Diversity Film Fest. Subscribe to us on Instagram or Spotify. We'll keep you updated with the New Orleans Film Festival. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time.